Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing A Lady's Formula for Love by Elizabeth Everett. This was just published on February 9th, 2021, and is the first book in The Secret Scientists of London. Let's just get straight into the jacket, Lane. What is a Victorian lady's formula for love? Mix one brilliant noblewoman and her enigmatic protection officer. Add in a measure of danger and attraction. Heat over the warmth of humor and friendship, and the result is more than simple chemistry. It's elemental. Lady Violet is keeping secrets. First, she founded a clandestine sanctuary for England's most brilliant female scientists. Second, she is using her genius on a confidential mission for the crown. But the biggest secret of all? Her feelings for protection officer Arthur Neeland. Solitary and reserved, Arthur learned the hard way to put duty first. But the more time he spends in the company of Violet and the eccentric club members, the more his best intentions go up in flames. Literally. When a shadowy threat infiltrates Violet's laboratories, endangering her life and her work, scientist and bodyguard will find all their theories put to the test and learn that the most important discoveries are those of the heart. I, I have to say, I do really like all the science puns. Me too. <laughs> so I liked it a lot. That said, I think it makes it sound more funny than the book actually is. I feel like the book is a little more serious. Yeah, it's hard because a lot of the accidents are treated funnily. Mm-hmm. Like they crack a lot of jokes and but but she's working to stop a terrorist organization and like a lot of the women in the novel are abused Mm -hmm. or have been abused um so i do think and in his life is super getting ahead of ourselves to trope sad tragic orphany that like i agree with you this this comes off as a little more bubblegum than the text was also i think i would have gotten rid of the last paragraph yeah, although I, I mean, I like that the series get put to the test, but... I just think the best line to end on is the more his intentions go up in flames, literally. I agree. I, it's, that... it's great. It's very funny. And um, it's true, you know, like there's a fire and he's like, okay, well. <laughs> My favorite scene that was kind of funny... Oh, well, let's do our things and then I'll get to it. But it's some of the things that they come up with rather than keys. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so funny. (laughs) Okay. So this week, the randomly generated number was 18. My summary. Widow found secret society for women scientists is targeted by a terrorist group and falls for her bodyguard. Okay, here's mine. Violet doesn't need someone smarter than she is, just someone smart enough to understand his comparative intellectual limitations. Yeah. I I did consider going like full I will always love you singing it, but you too. <laughs> happy that I didn't. No, I literally almost went how many Kevin Costner and then I just started thinking about Bull Durham and I was like, you know what, scrap this idea. <laughs> 
I, I literally wrote, if I should stay, I would only be in your way. And I was like, no, 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 delete. <laughs> <laughs> know that we both almost went there, ladies and gentlemen. We almost Probably went there, mostly but, ladies. Um, we didn't. Luckily for you. You're welcome. <laughs> so tropes. She had a bad first marriage, guys. Real bad. So she was married too young. Of her own choosing, though. It wasn't like a bad marriage she was forced into. In fact, her family and friends sort of tried to talk her out of it. To a much, much, much older man. And they just kind of weren't compatible once they ended up together. And then could like compound that with he was old and frail mm-hmm. and as he got older and frailer became less understanding yeah. and she was just she had a miserable couple of years it reminded me of uh two of my favorite books so one was mr impossible by Larry chase so same thing happened with daphne she's a brilliant scientist she marries this guy because this much older man because she thinks he's going to support her research and it mm. turns out that he doesn't and it also reminds me of uh dorothea in middlemarch who mm. does the same thing she marries this older man who is a brilliant scientist because she wants to support him and be his help me and it turns out to be the worst decision of her life so if there's anything I, I just wanna... you can take from literature it's probably you shouldn't marry a man twice your age probably just shouldn't mm. do it Yes, I just want to underscore because we did say a lot of the women who seek out the secret society were victims of abuse or are actively victims of abuse. Her marriage was not bad in that way. It's not physically abusive. Right. Um, Although I would say probably emotionally abusive. Yeah, I just, some characters do have visible bruises and I want to be clear that she's not one of them. Correct. Correct. But it, what what happened to her because of this bad marriage is that she doesn't have confidence in herself anymore. And doesn't think she's desirable, which broke. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, and and I, my, yeah. Specifically the, is wanting sex bad? Oh, I, oh, my husband said I was too enthusiastic. Because he was old, lady. Yeah, no, I think I've seen that a couple of times. Like the, well, my my ex didn't desire me for one reason or another, or my ex told me I wasn't ladylike in the bedroom, and it's like, girl, chill girl. out. Yeah. Um, I just wrote the bodyguard as an ex trope. I don't know. It is so close in so many ways that yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Arthur is her bodyguard. And literally the conflict is he thinks he needs to leave her because otherwise he will ruin her life. Because he is beneath her and mirrored in scandal and only knows causing pain to people. I don't know. I will say, though, I think this is a trope in and of itself, because one time my friends and I in Pittsburgh found an abandoned box on the side of the road filled with nothing but Harlequin romance novels. Mm -hmm. We absolutely took it home. And half of them were bodyguard centric. Mm-hmm. So there you go, so, bodyguard. It's a bodyguard. Like it is it's a bodyguard romance. I don't think it's a historical romance trope, but I do think it's a romance trope beyond just the film starring Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Yeah. Um, but yeah, which leads into the "I'm just not good enough for you" trope. 
Okay, we have another man who's married to his career and who ties his self-worth up in his career and still over 20 years spends all of his time thinking about the one time he failed. One time. One time. And I think I was supposed to think it was really noble and like hero complexy. But honestly, I was just like, oh, honey, like we really don't have enough mental health resources for people we put in the line of duty, huh? So true. It's so true, Lane. <laughs> like, it was just sort of a downer. It was like, man, dude, like you needed someone to talk to in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, fine. Like, literally, guys, it took him 20 years to understand that it's okay to be friends with the people you're guarding or even the people you're working with as you guard someone else. Or even just people you meet, niceties are okay. And I I do think it was interesting because he does say that this is basically the only time in his whole career that the person he's guarding is a nice person. Like outside of the work they do, it's not just important work. They're, Violet and the, the women she works with are actually nice. Right. So he previously worked Trope for the crown, along yeah. with Trope, Violet's older than her stepson. So um, he's retired now from the military, but he's doing this very well-paid job as a favor for his buddy Gray, which you would think is a contradiction to that he has no friends. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, so, so he's uh, was previously tasked by the crown with protecting ambassadors and arms dealers and like people who weren't necessarily good people, but who, if they died, like governments would fall. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there is one of my favorite tropes, which is she decides she needs a makeover for it she goes she decides it you know yeah she goes and she tries on a lot of dresses Mm -hmm. including one that is much racier and and beautiful but she thinks is like too much for her and so she settles for something less and then behind her back he buys her the racy dress and then in the like denouement she is wearing the racy dress and most upsettingly of all very minor spoiler here guys the lazy dress is ripped. Oh, it is ripped. Don't put my heroine in like the clothes that are supposed to symbolize her finally coming into herself and then destroy it. Like symbolically, what is that? <laughs> Can be repaired. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. Oh gosh. I did love that dress though. Me too. Whew. And yes, guys, there is a secret society for women in this book. Which we're always here for. Whether it's um, a lady's guide to travel or a lady's guide (laughs) to something else or just Lady Danbury's um, saloon, salon in Bridgerton, the TV show. Like anytime you want to get us a room full of badass women doing things that men tell them not to. Yep. All right. I mean, what did you think of the book in general? I thought it was cute. 
I liked the fact that the main conflict was her taking ownership of her sexual identity for the first time in her life, really. I liked how consent-driven their interactions were. And I didn't think for all that her insecurity is a central component of the plot, that it, I I didn't find it overbearing or like, you don't know you're beautifully. I found it pretty well handled. Well, and I I think it's because she's insecure about certain things, but she's very secure in, in other things, right? She's not just completely insecure about everything in her life. She's like, I know this. Why, why shouldn't I know that? Why is this hard for me? You know, she's, it's, I guess it's introspective as well, which is helpful. And it's not specifically tied to looks. Mm-hmm. Right. It's desirability tied up in like, I'm weird. I like science. I don't care about fashion. Like it's not an obsession with her features or it's a much wider I was made to feel undesirable and am like, and I don't fit in mm-hmm. and I can't seem to fix that. Right. That said, um, the plot about this terrorist group targeting her for her work with the government and his need to interview all of her staff and bring in additional staff ended up with what I felt like was a, pretty large cast of characters that could be hard to distinguish and the ending of the mystery I thought was pretty poorly handled for a lot of reasons so I know we often talk about how we'll forgive anything for a couple I think this is a book where unfortunately even though I did like the main couple and the main conflict the plot really brought the book down for me well and I think part of it is because in in we've said we'll ignore anything for a good couple but it's more like we'll ignore just like a weird, like random plot. I think mm-hmm. here there's so much emphasis on the mystery that right. it, it really was. You you were, there was much more of a mystery subplot than a romance subplot, uh, a normal romance subplot. And so you were encouraged to, that's why there were so many characters. Because you're like, oh, they're all the different suspects. And, and I think that's what was tough for me is, I like to focus on my my couple, the couple that I'm going to check out and, 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 you know, root for. And if I'm also paying attention to this mystery, uh, it needs to be really well constructed and really well pulled off. And unfortunately, I think it was a little bit lacking. I would agree with that. And one of the other books we've seen this, like, humongous cast of characters in was one of the Stephanie Lawrence. <laughs> the second one. The second one. A Rake's Vow. And I could just basically skim that being like, oh, my God, there's too many characters. I can't wait to laugh about this. Like, this book is a little more serious for a lot of reasons we've already discussed. So it doesn't work as well as sort of a forgettable side thing. Well, and the thing is, too, in that one, there were just all these names. And we're like, we don't know what the (laughs) heck they do, you know. And in, in this one, I do think that the characters were more individual and that's, I think, what was harder because there were so many of them and I did want to track them and find out. Like, for example, there's a, a trans character who I thought there's was There's a black really... housekeeper. There's mm-hmm. a poor Scottish maid. There's like six different significant women who are members of the society. There's his staff and his footmen. There's 
the brother and this revolutionary terrorist group. There's so many characters. Yeah, there's there's her stepson, and then she also has a really good friend who she grew up with who also wants to marry her. Who is the Earl of Grantham, which, come on now. It was a little rough for me. But who also was enamored with another one of her friends that who then turned her down. So then there's all this, like, backstory with them. And I, I feel like I, I wanted to know more about all these characters. And I think that's what was tough, too, is, like, there were so many of them that I wanted to know about that I was, like, I, I wasn't sure which ones were really important to the plot. You know, anyway. Yeah. It was hard. I think Violet is sort of a trope. Yes. And I don't mean that negatively. It's a trope we've often liked. The brilliant, socially awkward, whatever, botanist, scientist, archaeologist. Yeah. And one born of the aristocracy. So a blue stocking with noble roots. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I feel like the twist here is that her family didn't reject her. Right. And she made a match at 17. Mm-hmm. She met her older husband in her first season, and people were telling her not to settle for him. So I feel like a lot of times when we see this blue stocking character, it's like a spinster or a wallflower. And she was sort of neither of those things. No. So it's a small yeah. twist. I think it is a twist on... A pretty common thing. Look, I I like this trope. You're right. I like this character. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know. I want to read about someone who's who we've talked about this before. Someone who's very competent at what at their chosen field, whatever that chosen field may be. And yeah, if they're socially awkward, we've well, maybe you haven't laid, but <laughs> all the rest of us have felt awkward, you know, in a social situation one time or another. I'm just being dumb. <laughs> I just didn't want to speak for you. <laughs> yes, of course. I, that is a relatable thing. But I also thought this book did a good job at something a lot of other books have looked past, which is she's very competent at her chosen field. But rather than fearing being incompetent as a peer's wife, she was. Yeah. She was bad at throwing parties. She was bad at navigating social spaces. She'd get caught up in a formula and miss luncheons. Like, We've seen the fear in a couple of the characters, but she reflected like she made a terrible society wife. And I think that actually exploring that, that being brilliant and an asset to the crown in developing a chemical antidote does not necessarily mean she could cut it in society. Like this isn't a book where the moral of the story is like people end up appreciating her for her quirks and she makes it work. Right. Right. I mean, that may be the moral now, but certainly didn't happen then. She doesn't, even at the end of the book, it's not like she's made it in society. Not in society, no. You know what I mean? Like that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they it's not like she's married a duke and defined the Duchess the role of Duchess on her own terms. Like she never makes that work and I like that. Oh, I I absolutely agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. I like that too. I liked her social club. This reminded me a lot of Amanda Quick's 90s books. Okay. There, it's less about founding a women's club, although in one of her books, Rendezvous, the character did found 
um, a women's club and it was supposed to be basically the, the mirror of the men, the gentlemen's clubs, like whites or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking of how they'll go and enter the geographical society or they'll go to the paleontological or the, the, geolo- the geologist society, right, and become part of it. I don't know. It just reminded me of that, of finding these like-minded people. And that's where you find your friends. So it reminded mm-hmm. me of, of Amanda Quick's 90s standalones a little bit, which I like. Yeah, I, I was interested in the concept of intelligent women needing a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I think a few of the other times we've seen social clubs for women in literature and romance novels, I'm thinking specifically like Sarah McLean's um, Rules of Scoundrels had like that separate club so women could do what men could do. And mm-hmm. um Sarah McLean's Nine Rules to Break series having the, like, home for women who needed help. Mm-hmm. Or I, Sarah McLean's uh, <laughs> most recent one with the brothel that... Um, right, for women. Mm-hmm. So, look, Sarah McLean does this a lot. <laughs> but I think it was interesting to say, like, women weren't seeking amusement or protection. They were seeking membership in a society of intellectual equals but that was in itself dangerous yes well and I think it's here too it's the space and the materials that you need like if you a laboratory is a specific thing right like you need the running water and you need the chemicals and you need the sand to put out the chemicals so that was interesting, too, that Violet would use her financial resources to support other women doing science, scientific research. I liked that, too. But I also liked that she didn't. She fell a little short. Yeah. And she gets called out. And on the end, she's like, look, some of the women here aren't from the upper echelons of society. They're taking time off work to come do their research or they're paying for babysitters or they're like, whatever they can't do here isn't done at all like any sort of Mm. field research or all of that and so I thought it was interesting that you know her supporting the society and doing the best she could but she was still very limited by her life experience as a woman of means. well I think I think that's one of the things that Everett does really well actually Mm. is weaving these progressive values in a way that doesn't at least for me it didn't feel like I was getting beaten around the head with it Right. Like the conversation about her financial means or the conversation about um, just universal suffrage in general or um, the trans character, for example. I don't know. I thought it veered into heavy handed at times, Mm -hmm. especially toward the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But on the whole, I agree with you. I think overall it was pretty definitely done yeah uh so yes her stepson is older than her he works for the crown he's he's good friends with prince regent and yes and i loved that he saw her value and he's the one who got her involved so i really liked that i mean we've seen this a bunch right where the stepmom and the son who's either a little older or a little younger like form a bond opposed to this ancient dotty aristocrat right and end up staying really close afterward sure 
I think this is the first one I've seen where the stepson helps out the stepmother more than the other way around. I'd have to think about that, but maybe. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like in, in many cases, it's not like a sibling relationship. It's really like, oh, I, even though we're really close in age, she still feels like a maternal figure. And here, it didn't feel like that. It felt like they were more peers. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you mean by helps out. Because obviously, the second the guy inherits, he has the power to, like, kick her out of her house. Sure, yeah. And obviously, in all of these situations we're talking about, the stepson obviously is not going to do that to his beloved stepmother, friend, mother, whatever. So, But I do think you're right that this she did not seem to be a maternal figure to him at all, even though they were family. Right. And I did like Arthur as a character. You know, we talked about people being good at what they're good at. He's obviously, like, the best bodyguard around. Until the end of this book. Well, look, he's the best bodyguard, <laughs> just not the best investigator, okay? <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm, That's I, actually I, a I'm really actually, good point. Like, I'm truly making this point because also Grantham tries to make that point as well. And you're, at least for me, I think you're not supposed to, like, love Grantham. And I think you're supposed to think that he's being a little bit unfair to Arthur. But it turns out that he's right in the end. Yeah. Grantham was an interesting character, and I'm not 100% sure how I felt about him. Mm-hmm. I think that's good, though. Yeah. You know, I think it's good that you're like, okay, I kind of liked him, but I also kind of didn't like him. I think it's equal, par- equally that and personal and also partially like, I sometimes thought he was really adding to the plot and other times thought he was really detracting from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Arthur is, he's an amazing bodyguard. He will throw himself in front of a bullet. He'll get burned up. He'll get thrown in the ocean did he get chomped by sharks you know <laughs> who knows but he really gets he 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 threw himself across a you know jumped across the building like from the roof to another side he did he does all that stuff and I love it and if if you're gonna get that focus from that kind of man you know well I and say no. in terms of gentleman Jackson which we don't even really need to do like bodyguard for 20 years guy is jacked (laughs) it's also is there speaking of tropes is there not like the uh let me count your scars scene what's this one from what happened here yeah at the end the thing the twist on it i really liked is she spent less time focusing on the scars and more times on like the he's so ripped i can see individual muscles and was like naming them yes (laughs) I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, And I did like that part of the conflict is that they both have to learn that emotions are not bad. (laughs) Yeah. um, Interesting take. But yes, I like that too. You know, like he's, again, he spent 20 years thinking, I can't get close to anyone because then maybe I wouldn't throw myself in front of a bullet (laughs) for them. Well, and she made a, in some ways, they both made a stupid decision at 18. 
Yes. He made a bad professional choice that resulted, or, or that at the same time resulted in his one failure in his line of work. And she rushed off and married the first guy who would have her. And both decisions made them emotionally stunted. Yeah. And so, so I, I liked that this, in this case for me, I did like that through this relationship, both of them grew. I mean, that that is what you do in a romance novel. Sometimes it can frustrate me a little bit that it's like, oh, I just had to meet a man to understand that, uh, you know, I needed to open up or whatever. I liked that they they both did it and they did it in similar ways. And I liked that a lot. Yeah. And I think it was also. I don't want to oversimplify this. Violet was confident in herself, her place in society and the social world she had carved out for herself, the way in which she felt lacking was a result of her marriage and trying to figure out like a lot of women in more progressive romance novels do like marriage is a means of control you know giving up sort of your right to a lot of financial control over your own life not to mention social control over your own life is a huge deal trusting someone enough to do that but also trusting a man enough to let him judge you like was her insecurity. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of fine with it being the thing she had to come to terms with in this specific context. Exactly. I I think we both have talked about how the, for us, the major downside of the book was the resolution of the mystery. Yep. Um, The mystery itself, was a little okay I personally find mysteries a little hard to grasp anyway unless they get laid out for me like very very simply at the end by Hercule Poirot like he's got to sit down and say he did this and then he walks in the drawing room and did that so I get a little confused anyway (laughs) but I really did not like the choice of villain I also didn't like I'm trying to do this in a non-spoilery way. So they know because accidents and explosions and the the types of things that have been happening within the society that there is someone on the inside working against them, at least in this specific means. But there's also this terrorist organization for workers' rights that has taken to bombing crowds that they think is tied up in it because the antidote she's developing is to one of their weapons. And the suspicion from the outset is that one of the characters who um, has a sibling who they're no longer in contact with, who's a part of this movement. Not only did I dislike the choice and the reason and the character development tied up with who the internal mole was, I did not like how the external source of evil was tied up in one of the characters' gender identity. I thought the whole thing, overall, like, I thought the trans character was handled well as an individual. But I did not like the way the relationship with his family played out in the ending yeah 
And then for me too, one of the things I, I actually really disliked were the consequences faced by the villain. Mm-hmm. I felt like the crime was pretty serious and that the consequences were not serious enough. Right, because it's several fold, right? Like not only did this chemical weapon kill someone in a crowd and cause a great deal of suffering to bystanders, but it was also like a betrayal of your closest friends, of the people giving you sanctuary, of like a direct threat to the existence of this women's science club, which you've read all book about how vital it is to the health, well-being, and advancement of scientific discovery, like of these women. So it it was a personal betrayal. It was an act of terrorism. It was there are several layers of this being horrific. And you're supposed to sort of wave it off. And it's clear, I think, that that character is going to end up a romantic heroine in a future book. Mm -hmm. On the grounds of her personal circumstances were so tragic Mm -hmm. that they justify this worldview somehow. And I was so not here for it. Yeah, same, same. And I also think, so there's a lot of female characters, I'm kind of getting into offensiveness now, who are really catty and mean Mm -hmm. to what's her name i read this today to violet violet (laughs) there's a lot of characters who are mean to violet and they sort of present society as like women pitted against each other and one of her big moments outside of the real mystery is finally telling her biggest bully that she's mean to her because she's unhappy and that's her problem sort of thing which i did not love but then for it to ultimately be like a betrayal of female friendship and the fact that it's the friend you most stereotypically would peg as the villain. Mm-hmm. In a way, I don't know how to say that in a less spoilery way. I really hated. Like, I thought for all that this was about women's place in society and them making their own space, in the end, the relationship dynamics felt really reductive. And even, like, the suspicion of the other women in the club, like, who's the woman who betrayed the other women? Mm-hmm. Like, overall, I did not. Yeah. So yeah, I think you I think you covered all the offensiveness there actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm checking checking our notes. Let me check. Yes, <laughs> I think we're good. Um, we skip that how section. Sexy, how sexy was this book? Um, you know, when you make your heroine's conflict that she needs more um, positive reinforcement in sex. And she's decided to um, have sex she wants to have for the first time in her life. You end up with a book that has a lot of sex in it. That is pretty sexy. Um, not only, well, I was going to say, not only does it have a lot of sex, it's like sexy sex, too. Yes. They're, they start out, they start out with a carriage hookup. I'm slow clapping because <laughs> this is what I'm here for. That's uh, that's Lane's one of Lane's favorite tropes. I mean, I, it's not one of my least favorite ones, but that is definitely an R situation. I was trying to avoid our. <laughs> that is definitely an R situation. <laughs> yeah. So also, I loved Meg and I are suckers for waltzes. Yeah. That lead yeah. to irresistible and and a waltzing and how. 
they, they almost cause a scandal. They do cause a scandal with how lusty their waltz is. Just about how sexy. And of course they leave immediately following. Which has everybody talking. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest, they do get it on in the carriage. So was everyone wrong? No, they weren't. They well, weren't and wrong. I also like, like, so she makes the decision pretty early on that like she wants this man. It's the first guy she has wanted. And even yeah. though she's pretty insecure, she's going to go for it. And he is pretty much like, you are my job. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't hook up with the woman I am protecting. I shouldn't hook up with her. But also, again, like I said, she's the first person he's ever worked for ever who's basically a nice person. So also making it hard for him to keep his distance. I thought you were going to say dick in his pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, but I, I thought the communication about both of their hesitance to engage was pretty great. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, this was definitely an example of consent is sexy. Consent is sexy. Communication is sexy. That's one thing I actually loved about this book is that there was never any, like, miscommunication. She's not understanding where I'm coming from. Like, they were completely honest the entire time. There was no secret goodbye sex. This was like eagle eye cherry, you know. <laughs> Well, and I talk about wanting sex when the conflict is resolved. There really was never any conflict between the two of them. Like, Not between them, no, a, they were. Mm-hmm. They definitely thought, like, this has to be temporary by virtue of our circumstances, but they were saying that to one another. Exactly. I also, I had to laugh because literally the week after we do Selena Montgomery's Hidden Sins and I complained about the existence of plastic buttons... Everything we're reading this week has like really sexy buttons. In. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Like, really sexy buttons. Really sexy buttons. Look very sexy buttons. Also, they have sex in her library or excuse me, not her library. That would be sexy, but they actually have sex in her laboratory. And there's no bodies in it. There's none. Correct. <laughs> it's like super clean. She's a chemist, so she cleans everything up all the time. So it's a sexy laboratory. Yep. And then there's also desk sex. Yep. And then there's really sexy sex basically in her walk-in closet. Yep. This was a very sexy book. I loved so much. Basically, she's like trying to pick her outfit and she's thrown everything off of the hangers and onto the floor and then they just tuck in it. Well, and she gets stuck in her corset. That too. And he has to get her out of it. And like, I don't know, then stuff happens. <laughs> stuff happens. <laughs> um, there were a couple of things that I thought were a little too heavy handed in the metaphor department in their sex. Once I can't just sense I didn't care really, but I'm just mentioning it. Like every time they have sex until the last time he's like fully dressed. Yeah. And it's not specifically like I am hideously scarred and I don't want you to see. It's just a metaphor for his vulnerability. Well, I, I didn't even care because, again, this is not like a subtle metaphor. She's like, you have not been naked with me. Take off all your clothes. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> like, Violet, she asks for what she wants, you know? And he obliges her. He's like, okay. He's, she's like, why haven't you gotten undressed? And he's like, well, you know, what if someone attacked you in the middle of sex? And she's like, take off your clothes now. Um, I liked the discussions of contraception. 
Yes. I thought they were interesting, but not distracting. I could have done without all of the am I barren stuff, especially because it didn't end up mattering. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, I will happily deal with that as infrequently as it occurred for the very, very good sex in this book. The sex was, like, really, really sexy, guys. <laughs> so, overall, I recommend checking out Elizabeth Everett. Definitely check this out. I'm, I am 100% going to be reading the next ones in the series because I, I did really like this one. And I think it probably can only go up from here. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out on Goodreads and Instagram at Plotris. And we did receive a complimentary copy of this book from NetGalley for our unbiased review.